Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today as we recap a little bit about Sunday's message. You know, this message was such a powerful message because we were really focusing in on what God's voice was speaking for the coming year. And anytime we take time as a church or just as a community to focus in on the now voice of God, there's always surprises that pop up in the service or there's surprises that pop up just in our time of engaging with one another and engaging with him. I know for me this past Sunday. Uh, There were so many moments that happened that just ministered to me. Even remembering them later, they kind of sat uh, almost like an experience that I wanted to go back and revisit again and again and again. And you know, throughout the course of our church history, we've had so many of you comment and you've talked about how impactful certain messages have been or how impactful whole services have been. And that's really been our heart, to walk into services so it's not just something you do out of obedience on Sunday morning, but it really becomes an encounter with a living God who can change your life. From the time you walk into the door, you see another believer or maybe just a smiling face that's so happy to see you on Sunday morning. You grab your cup of coffee or, you know, your little mini water bottle and you find that seat and enter into that place of worship. I really believe that what we've been stewarding on Sunday mornings is helping us as a community and as a church enter into a long-term lifestyle of encountering and experiencing God. Well, the thing that was unique about this past Sunday, which has actually launched us really into this podcast uh, series that we're going to be doing, or long-term podcast, I guess, that we're going to be doing, is that there was so much in the message. There were so many moments of prophetic words, prophetic declarations, things that I didn't know know were going to come because they were that uh, knobby bubbling forth out of my spirit. They just came and God was moving through the room. So we wanted to take time to unpack a little bit of Sunday morning's message, maybe to give you a little bit more direction as you're moving forward in the year uh, to just kind of go back and highlight what we really felt were some key points uh, from the message. You know, I just read listened to the message earlier um, today, and I was just laughing, uh, hearing some of the, the, the just people standing and all the moments we had to stop and hearing people get blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just, again, I felt the presence of God wash over me, and I was just reminded how important it is to, again, even take time in those those spontaneous moments to say, okay, but what was God doing? That wasn't just something that randomly happened. That was God moving in a powerful way. Well, I want us to just take maybe the next 10 minutes and kind of revisit those areas and those places where God spoke, maybe give you a little bit more direction. So in your own personal walk, in your study throughout the week, you can revisit things. And the first thing I want to dial us into is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 has been obviously a long-term, it's a favorite passage of mine. Uh, A lot of people have loved it. I feel like I discovered it in the 90s along with everybody else um, and then really spent a lot of time in Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 61. Most people obviously connect with that passage because the start of it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. So the posture of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61 really comes from a place of personal declaration in part partnership with what God is speaking over him. Now, if you dial back a chapter and you go to Isaiah 60, you'll see that the very first verse in Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, if you don't know a lot about Isaiah, 
You know, Isaiah is one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah is considered uh, one of the major messianic prophets of the Old Testament, meaning the majority of his prophecies written in his book point to the birth of Jesus. This is different from Jeremiah, which is the next chapter. Jeremiah is also a major prophet, but he's considered the weeping prophet because he's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to their current situation. And and so many of his words kind of have this mournful uh a tearful approach, and it, it really conveys the heart of God, uh, a sadness for where the people are versus where he wants to pull them. But the power of Isaiah, and one of the reasons why you hear so many people referring to passages in Isaiah, especially during prophetic times or in prophetic seasons when God's speaking something new, is because Isaiah was a messianic prophet. So because he often was prophesying about Jesus, and Jesus is always relevant, right? Jesus doesn't have a timestamp to him. He wasn't just relevant 2,000 years ago, and now he's lost his relevancy. So the reason why you hear a lot of modern-day preachers, or you'll hear a lot of modern-day prophetic voices refer to Isaiah, is because the relevancy of the nature of Christ and what Isaiah prophesied about rings true in every year, and every decade, and in every season of life. That's why we dial back to Isaiah a lot of times, as opposed to maybe like Habakkuk, you know, or Zechariah, Zephaniah, like some of the minor prophets, we don't dial into those because a lot of those prophets were speaking to specific time period moments, time period issues, you know, cultural things, as opposed to Isaiah, who's speaking to the timeless Christ. Again, Isaiah 61, this is something we really talked about on Sunday, but I want us to just focus in on this. Verse 7 says, instead of your, Isaiah 61, 7, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Now, in the Passion Translation, that first verse talks about instead of shame, uh, you'll receive a double portion of honor back to you. Now, that's not what we read in the ESV. We know that the Passion Translation is written by Brian Simmons. It's a great accompaniment to maybe a more established translation like the ESV or, um, You know, I I love that NASB, but this particular passage, when we look this up in the Greek, what we're really leaning into is the declaration that instead of shame, one of the words that's used in definition for the Hebrew word shame is embarrassment. Uh, It's also a sense of um, a lack of honor or a lack of respect that's been handed out to a person. And I think about the the season that a lot of people have been in and just the course of life. One of the attacks that the enemy will try to do is he will often try to remove from us our authority and our right as a kingdom citizen, as a co-heir with Christ, by leveraging an attack of dishonor or embarrassment against us. If the enemy can get us to apologize for our our existence, he will essentially have us confessing a separation from our birthright as a spirit-filled, newly born-again believer with Jesus. If I apologize for existing, I'm verbally making a separation between who God has called me to be and what he wants me to be, and the enemy leverages those feelings. Well, don't you know you shouldn't have done that? If you just would have been perfect, if you just would have acted this way, what happens for us internally 
is that we start to, the feeling of embarrassment actually produces self-talk internally and behavior that safeguards us against that feeling again. Then we remove that place of authority that God has given us to step into the things he's called us to. So let's just play this out really quickly in real time. Something happens to you. The enemy leverages embarrassment against you or something happens and the enemy leverages dishonor. Now, how do you know if it really was embarrassing or if it really was dishonoring? You know what the truth is? You don't necessarily, there's not like a litmus test, right? Where you can measure this. It's a feeling that you have inside. It's a sense you have inside. Now there's all sorts of reasons why embarrassment, feelings of embarrassment, feelings of dishonor, feelings of disdain start to to move inside of us. That's a whole nother journey. But for this, when we start to recognize those feelings, the temptation is to make those feelings fact. And then because they become fact inside of us, we will do all the work we can to safeguard so we don't feel that way again. I don't ever want to feel dishonor again. I don't ever want to feel embarrassment again. So I'll never put myself in that position. So I'll never extend myself that way. So I'll never talk to that person again. So I'll put a tough exterior on. And what we actually do unknowingly is in the hurt or the pain of the emotional feeling. We side our faith, our behavior, and our intentionality with a lie of the enemy trying to come against us and we separate ourselves from our authority. So that's why when the scripture says, instead of your shame, when the Lord comes, when, when you walk into truth and you embrace the fullness of who God is in your life, really what he's saying is, I want you to confront shame in your life. When you do that, not backed with the power of Brene Brown or a TED Talk or somebody else, when you do that backed with the power of the anointing of God, you will receive a double portion moving over you. Now, again, the Passion Translation says honor. We don't read this in the ESV. We just literally read a double portion, a double measurement coming back to us. So I want you to just take a moment right now. I want you to think about where are times in your life you have felt the most dishonored? Maybe you felt the most embarrassed. Maybe shame tried to really come in and you felt the most shame. And, and listen, I don't want you to sit there for a second. I want you to ask God to give you a measurement for what that feels like. You know, was that 500 pounds? You know, was that a measurement of a thousand gallons? Was that the measurement of the size of a lake of a cup? Was it the measurement, you know, uh, how, what, ask him to give you what the measurement was or was the measurement, you know, a year of your life was the measurement a decade of your life because shame tried to creep in. Now, I want you to stop. I want you to actually write that down, and then I want you to begin to contend and turn. And now, what we do is we follow what it says in the scripture, and we say, God, now I'm asking. A year was taking for me, I'm asking for two years back. I'm removing myself from this shame. I'm removing myself from this embarrassment. I'm removing myself, your word promised. Instead of my shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. I'm asking you now, God, I'm asking you to unite me with my identity in Christ and my authority in Christ and to separate 
separate me from shame and dishonor. And I'm asking for it not just once, I'm asking for the double measurement of it. You see, I believe that if we can lay hold of this as a community, as a body, and we can say, I'm going to confront places of shame internally in my life. I'm going to confront the leverage of the enemy to say, you should be embarrassed about yourself. You should just give up in this place with yourself. This is just always who you're going to be. What's going to start to happen is we're going to lose the internal dialogue that causes excuses to rise up, that causes us to stay stuck in certain patterns. But ultimately, what we're really making room for is God to come and bring and return or restore or bring fresh and anew into our life a double measure of what that shame or that embarrassment or that dishonor took from us. You know, did you grow up in a household where you had a a parent who wasn't really honoring of you or your wishes or your emotions? What did that steal from you? Some of you might say it stole my lifetime. Okay, but if we turn back to the Lord and we position this not as leverage of pity or doubt, or I think I even said it on Sunday, right? What what what's the friends that hang around with shame, right? Uh, Embarrassment, pride, uh, those those things of self-loathing, excuses that pop up. Now all of a sudden, we're switching the enemy on his head, and this year I believe that. Laying hold of this truth specifically in scripture is going to change everything for us. I think there's a grace this year on people to specifically address lifelong areas of shame, uh, onslaughts of embarrassment, places where pride, false pride, well, not false pride, false humility, uh, which is really pride, has actually robbed us of authentic relationship, authentic truth, authentic life. I think there's a grace on us this year to lean into this. So what can you do? You can do those two things I said earlier. The other thing you can do is, and I challenged us on Sunday, I want to reiterate this. Let's dig into Isaiah 6. 61 this year. Let's read it every single day. You know, put it on a three by five card if you still have those. I do. I love them. Print it on a fancy printer if you have that. I just got one. So there's that. Do the things that you can do to put this passage in different places in your life. Get it in different translations. You can use, uh, I use a great app. It's called the Blue Letter Bible app. It's an easy free app you can use online. You can get it on your phone. You can start to do some research. But this, this year, as a community, let's lay hold of the, the grace that God's extending to his people to confront this. In this return, we move into places of abundance that God's breaking over us, places that he wants to release over us. We go back, fast forward then to verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation and he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. I wanna just take a moment and point out to you that the robe of righteousness is available only to those who are clothed in the garments of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, you can't put a robe of righteousness on. We see this trying to happen in society with phrases like do better, be better, just do good, just do good. Good according to who? See, there's a fight in our culture to create a scale of righteousness that doesn't exist. That's called self-righteousness. How do you actually measure what is right or wrong? You have to have an uncompromising standard of right 
or righteousness that all things are measured against. Well, nowhere in history is that established. The only one who has consistency in this is God our Father. That's why his righteousness is something you can rely on. I can do good works outside of salvation, and guess what it's called? Just good. You just did something good. I do those good works now clothed in a garment of salvation based out of where I'm seated in heavenly places as a new believer wrapped in that garment of robe of righteousness that's been made available to me through Jesus. And now all of a sudden those good works take on a divine anointing and power. It gets accredited in heaven is God's kingdom moving on the earth. It gets, uh, there's a standard that gets put. I hand a plate of cookies to my neighbor and I'm not a believer. Guess what I just did? I just listened to like a talk show host and handed out a plate of cookies. I hand a plate of cookies as a born again believer wrapped in a robe of righteousness and I hand that plate of cookies out. Guess what happens now? Now I'm starting to establish a Holy Spirit stronghold, an avenue of salvation into their life. I pay for Starbucks for the person in line behind me. Guess what I did? I followed some meme online that says, pay it forward, pay for the guy's latte behind you. I do that now wrapped in a robe of righteousness, not because of me, but because of him. You know, when people get an award in an award show and the first thing they say is I have to thank God or they score a touchdown and they go, you know, point up to Jesus or whatever they do. And what, what are the things that they're doing right now is they're aligning themselves with the clothing of salvation. They're keeping themselves wrapped in a robe of righteousness. They're not saying, oh, I'm so great that I did this all. They're aligning themselves in that moment. That is key for us this year, that we align ourselves and the divine power that calls the purposes of God found in his standards of righteousness that he has called us to live by. Now, this is going to be challenging because the world, again, is making up their own standard of righteousness, but we don't bow to that. We don't serve that. We have a God who is consistent from beginning to end. His nature is true all the way through to the beginning. And because of that, there is a power that we lean into with robes of righteousness wrapped around us that actually serve as supernatural seeds, supernatural ammunition in the midst of a war of light and darkness, supernatural inroads to places of encounter for people who don't know him, all because of how we position ourselves. Now, the challenge is that a lot of believers like to do things like they maybe they you have a big voice voice. You want to talk about doing good, but are you actually doing it? Are you actually being obedient with what God is calling you to? And in that, and acting that place where the robe of righteousness is not only wrapped around you, but it's extended out now to the world around you. See, this is a challenge for us. When I do these things, is my mind saying, come on, God, bless them with that vanilla latte and Father, set them up for divine encounter. God, let this be accredited in heaven that the person behind me is known by the righteousness of God. Like what happens if we start to do this this year? There's a call in 2023 for us as believers to realign ourselves. Now, the final thing I want to touch in before I close out today, you're kind of with this recap, maybe a re-sermon you think, but it's kind of ammunition to fuel the fire that we just touched in, was uh, Mark chapter 5, 
at the end when we were uh, reading about going now into peace and how important uh, that passage is and that scripture is. I I think this is so important because one of the things that we find is that that word peace in the Greek actually means, it can mean a state of of national tranquility, national, not natural going into peace. When the robes of Jesus come, she touches him. Jesus says, go now into peace, a state of national tranquility, or listen to this, the exemption from rage and havoc of war. And now you tell me, does our nation need a national state of tranquility right now? We need the robe of Jesus to move through our land again. We need people who are in a place of desperation to experience the robe of Jesus touching them again. So there is an absence of rage, an absence of the havoc of war. I just watched a video the other day. This person was talking about how for three months they've been in a state of uh, irrational rage and at the drop of a hat they get provoked into it. Then I watched a complimenting video that talked about how there's a whole group of druids, of people who believe in the satanic church, who are followers of darkness, who are contending for moon cycles to provoke an emotional change inside of people to keep them in bondage to systems of rage seasonally throughout the year. Now, we need the robe of Jesus to move through our land. We need believers of God to connect with what this is saying. So when you're praying, When you're contending for God to move, when you're praying for yourself, go through your house. Say, I welcome the robe to come through the room. There's a great song that Hillsong put out. It's on their Awaken album, and we sing it in our church. It says, I love to hear the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room. You know, that power of the the presence of God moving, that's what we're leaning into. That absolutely sense of why am I so angry? I don't know. We need that tranquility that only the presence of a higher authority that is above every other name can bring. And that's what we read in Mark chapter five, leaning into that place where God speaks and moves and just his presence in our midst brings a higher, greater power. 2023, we want to lean into that. What does it mean to go into peace? What does it mean to dismantle shame? What does it mean to act in a place of alignment with the righteousness of Christ? These are things that we want to be leaning into. You want to write three things down and keep them on your phone, keep them on a post-it note in your car, uh, however you want to do it. Three things I would encourage you to do is to say, he has a double portion for me. Two, I I am wrapped in his robes of righteousness. And three, I am stepping into peace every single day. Those can be statements just for you that can actually help change the entire world around you. Listen, I want to just pray for you as we close out here and know that if you have other questions, if you have things, we love to hear those from you. If you have things that you're studying, even revelation you've received, we'd love to hear that. We know that God is alive. He's speaking in our church and through our church. We know he's speaking through you. And I know that 2023 is going to be an incredible year. I want to encourage you, take that last 10 minutes and start to listen to some of those things about that were prophesied over 2023. Some of those things that God spoke 
over 2023, even at the very end, I think there's a word that kind of just slips in there at the very end before we're praying. And it's just a powerful statement. Uh, And again, these are things we look to. Is this stuff that God is already doing? Is this stuff that could be coming on the horizon? Uh, We have to position ourselves. You know, when we hear things saying, this is what I sense coming in 2023 versus I hear the Lord saying two different postures. You know, one's talking about things that could be an act and happening. The other one's saying these are things that are on the heart of God that he's going to be addressing, but we need to be aware of both of them because we are not another. We're co-heirs with Christ. We play an active role in the journey in our life. So listen, I want to encourage you, go back, write those things down, take note of them. Uh, If you don't have a journal, a prophetic journal for 2023, go pick one up. Highlight. These are the things that I've heard from national prophets. I've heard in our own house. These are the things that I believe God's speaking to me. Let's start to keep track of what God does this year, how God is speaking in accuracy over his people. Let me just pray for you. Father, thank you this morning or today or this afternoon or whenever anybody's listening to this. God bless them. Bring more revelation to them. We thank you for this year, 2023, the year of your robe returning to your people again. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.